Hey, this is Gary. This is Mike. And Daniel. We're not professionals. We're just three addicts sharing our experiences, strength, and hope regarding recovery. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other addicts and to practice these principles in our lives. Welcome to another episode of the 12th Step Podcast. My name is Gary. And I'm Mike. And with that audible silence, there is no Daniel. Daniel's not feeling well tonight. He is not. Which is a shame. He will be missed. He will be missed, but we'll uh, we'll move forward without him. Um, so tonight, why don't you introduce the topic? Well, I stumbled across a little something that I really, really liked. And then, you know, as you know, I shared the idea with you. Right. And then you just took it and ran. <laughs> So I'm really excited. The, the classic addict in me, is that right? <laughs> the classic, classic, classic. So I heard this wonderful talk, this lecture that was given, and it referenced it referenced um, Sir Dave, what was it, Brilsford? Yes. I'm remembering that right? I think so. And when he took over the British cycling, cycling team. team. Yeah. yeah. And the philosophy that he introduced was that they were going to improve 1% every day. That's what they were going to do, or something like that. Something along those lines. But there's a couple pieces to that, first of all, that I really loved as far as his introduction goes. First of all, the Brits hadn't won anything forever. For like 10, no, it was a long, long, long long time. A long period of time. In fact, it was so embarrassing at how bad they were. One of the things he pointed out is even the bicycle manufacturers had no interest whatsoever. 110 years. (laughs) Hadn't done anything in 110 years. And the cycling manufacturers, they were so bad, they they didn't want the Brits buying their bikes from them because they did not want their brand, their name, being associated with such a poor cycling team. That was an interesting comment. And and then his comment of making 1%, not only did he decide, hey, 1%, but we're going to actually look at everything, even the things that we do well. We're going to look at every single aspect of what it is that we do and make improvements at, at a minimal amount on every one of those, which I thought was a phenomenal insight. The the phrase that stood out is that they were mired in mediocrity. <laughs> and this was this was in spite of having access to uh, you know, they had they had a great budget, they had great equipment, they, right. there was a lot of things that they had access to, but they were mired in mediocrity. And so he pointed out that they'd set some goals about uh-huh. winning the Tour de France. Uh-huh. Wanted to do well in Olympic cycling. Wanted to do a handful of things, and they they were not successful in any of those for a, 110 years. Yep, mired in mediocrity. What a great comment. So I'm going to write that down. We're going to come back to that mired in mediocrity. Okay. All right. So then the story proceeds. This guy comes in, and what does he do? He introduces him to the idea of making a making small incremental improvements. One percent, so minor improvements that you almost they're almost indiscernible between how they've been doing things. But the theory behind it is if we can evaluate every single aspect of the cycling race from the very start to the very beginning and the kind of preparation that we put into it and make just small incremental changes in those things that that we won't notice any kind of it won't be such a it won't be such a significant change that it that it upsets us per se um, that we have to throw everything out and start over. But what it's doing is it's making such significant changes over a period of time that uh, uh, that it becomes habit, that it becomes part of what the, part of their DNA, part of what they who they are, all of that sort of stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And he, he, he introduces this idea of the 1% principle. Right. I think he used the phrase, or the phrase that I was introduced to, was the aggregation of marginal gains. Gains. The aggregation of marginal gains. That's right. I remember that. Great so, topic. Oh, it was fantastic. Anyway, so why don't you shout out the book that you got that you're kind of enjoying? So, <laughs> so I was actually introduced to this idea some time ago. This, the, the concept that this individual was actually talking about uh, was referenced from an author by the name of James Clear, who happens to be a, a, a New York Times bestseller, and his book is called Atomic Habits. Uh, and he obviously introduces the idea of this 1%, 1% change making uh, by making these minor, minor changes over a period of time that what really happens is then is, is that uh, uh, monumental results, atomic results, kind of as he, as he identifies it. Uh, fantastic book. I'm... Uh, uh, I've started the book a handful of times, been through about half of it, and just really, really enjoyed it, really, really enjoyed it, and committed now again to, to actually finish it all the way up and to walk all the way through it, because there are some complex there are some complex formulas in here that really kind of uh, throw me off for the math, and so I sometimes I put it down. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, now in the book, he, he says that, uh, that habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. If you can get just 1% better at something each day, by the end of the year, you'll be 37 times better. 37 times. I'd love to see the math on that. I know. I'm sure it's mired in some of the formulas that are in this book. I'm sure it because is. Because he, he does talk about being 37% better by the end of the year, which I think is pretty remarkable. So I, part of the reason why I think this is interesting and how I, we're obviously going to tie this into a recovery topic. Absolutely. And, uh, and why is it that this grabbed your interest uh, as, and why was it so, so compelling for you as you started thinking about uh, uh, probably not only your life, but your recovery life? Well, because so often, now, and we've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but I've, I'm, I'm a big proponent of you only have this moment to do something. Okay. Once something becomes the past, it's beyond your control. Sure. Future, we'll get here when it does. But in all reality, in all reality, I only have right now in which to act. Okay. And I'm also a big proponent of do the next right thing. Sure. I say it all the time. Right. And very often, the next right thing, or I can act right in this moment, very, very often, those are very small things. Yes. Absolute truth. They're very, very small things. And they might seem insignificant, but have atomic effect. They have an atomic effect, mm-hmm. especially especially when they become habitual. Yes, and they become a little bit of of what you are. I I like. Now we all we all understand we all understand how bad habits can destroy our lives. Right. You know how it hijacks our mind, how we become powerless against it, and things like that. But I think that there's a reason why our minds have that uh that machinery those mechanisms in them i think i think it's one of the ways that that uh you know we kind of navigate through life so that you know we don't have to pay attention to everything all at once Mm -hmm. so even though even though these can become very very self-destructive i think if you use those internal mechanisms to your benefit it's what makes your character right i like to think of it like this you know um I can choose to do kind things, and I do kind things right. often, right? But if I do them often enough and consistently enough, okay, I stop doing kind things and I become kind. 
And you are. I just kind. am kind. Right. You know, and uh, I love, I love that idea. I love the idea. So, what little things can I do, and do them consistently mm-hmm. over a long period of time until, until they cease to be things that I'm doing, and they become what I am. Right. You know, it's a great comment. Uh, uh, something that our therapist said that I really, really like. He says you need to stop being. He says you need to stop being a human doing and start being a human, human being. being. Correct. And and I think that fits in really, really well. I've thought an awful lot about this. Uh, you know, when you threw this topic out here some time ago, as I've been thinking about my own circumstance, realizing just how this idea of boundaries or the lack thereof has sort of crept into my life and have become such a an integral part of my acting out behavior. Um, I'm self-employed, which means work starts when I get there. It doesn't start at 8 o'clock like it does for a normal person. Uh, For the longest time, I drove a BMW, and uh, I couldn't do anything to keep that thing under 60 miles an hour. It's just impossible. It's just impossible to do. And so I drove fast. I went to work late. I stayed as late as I wanted to. In fact, it was so much about my my acting out behavior was, well, I'm going to be at work kind of a thing. and one of the things is I start thinking about a bound a boundaryless life and how how so applicable that was to my acting out behavior and how I could I was not accountable to anybody. Um, <clears throat> and so as I start contemplating things, these tiny little changes that I can make, I can get up at a reasonable hour and I can be to work by eight o'clock, just like everybody else has to. I can I can drive the speed limit like everyone else is supposed to. I can do all these things. I can make these smiles, these these minor little changes, and then it reintroduce boundaries into my life in a way. And it's in that it's in that space and in that environment that I can find then recovery, because boundaries are very much a part of. And it's the simple little things that can help. I can be honest to my wife. I can tell her that I will be home at five o'clock and be home at five o'clock or six o'clock. Mm-hmm. I can do those kinds of things, and so those aren't those aren't monumental things I'm talking about. But each one of those individual little things that I can do will have atomic results as a re, as, as a result right. of working on those things. A well, little, uh, little thought came to me was um, being on time. Yes, you know it's a really good example. I can never only choose or act to be on time, like right now. Right. Okay. And so I'll do what I need to do to be on time for whatever that is. Yeah. Now, if you continue to do that over and over and over, pretty soon you're punctual. Before you know it, it's who you are. It's it's who you are. In fact, I, I started a new job. Now, in my previous job, my previous job, um, as a, you know, I'd been there for a long time, and especially in the beginning... I had created kind of a culture where I was barely making it to work on time or a few minutes late or whatever. And in fact, that became kind of a a tip off as I started recovery was if I'm running late or if I'm being careless with my time, that's, those are some red flags. It was kind of of interesting. So I've been at my new job now for about nine months, nine months. And it was kind of strange because... (laughs) There was a traffic accident, which put me behind my time, and, and I allow myself extra time. So it even put me behind my allotted time. I was going to be late, and so I, I let let my boss know well in advance that I was going to be late. But it was interesting to me that 
that information wasn't wasn't disseminated to my coworkers. So when I showed up late, they started worrying about me where I was 10 minutes before my time. Wow. He's not here. What's going on? What's happening? That's here? so strange. Yeah. And that's just that's just you know, an aggregate an aggregate of mediocrity. Yeah. <laughs> of marginal <laughs> marginal gains. Yeah. Marginal yeah. gains. Just what being on time right now will do. Little simple things. Like I said, I was as I was thinking about this topic, I've started to think about just the minor changes that I could make in my own life. And as a result of making minor, simple little changes could reintroduce boundaries, which as my counselors talked about multiple times, is is that, you know, boundaries are a, a critical component of a successful recovery. They just simply have to be there. So uh, it's an inter- interesting topic. It really is. So what, what are some of the things that you think that uh, some of our listeners could do? What kind of what kind of uh, uh, seemingly small changes could a, could a, a struggling, recovering addict make? We were talking before we started recording, and you made a point. I think, I think that, you know, and you, you talked about being able to reduce something down to a very, very small thing. Yes. Use the example of, well, I want to be a good reader. So, you know. I could reduce that down to, I mean, what did you say? Uh, to make a habit, you should reduce it down to ad- it's, it's, initially to two a minutes. Two-minute drill is what he re- refers yeah. to in the book. And now you're going you're gonna to put me on the spot. No, no, it's no. It's going to be tough for me to find. No, you're good. But, but the idea of, okay, so if I want to be a good reader, or I want to, be, to study more, I'll start by opening my notes. I'll yes. start by reading a page or a paragraph or whatever it is, you know. Redesign your environment. I'm going to read just a couple of things here because you're talking. If you okay. want to remember to take your medication each night, put your pill bottle directly next to the faucet on the bathroom counter. If you want to practice guitar more frequently, place your guitar stand in the middle of the living room. If you want to remember to send more thank you notes, keep a stack of stationery on your desk. Now, this is his point about uh, um, uh, a couple of things, and I, I wish I had that two-minute, you know, how, how to simplify all uh-huh. I'll find But it. all of those sound like first-order changes. First-order changes, exactly what I was thinking. If you, want to make a, if you want to make significant changes, you know, I remember the day when I took the Internet off my phone. When I handed the phone to my counselor and said, uh, I figured out how to get the Internet off. And that's no easier thing, by the way. I might point that out. Yeah. Uh, but I said, I figured out a way. That I finally have, have connected with these people in a way to get, you know, how do I make this actually happen? And they told me that with a simple code, I could block it. So I said, I'm handing you my phone, and you're going to enter in some four-digit code and make it go away. Now, I was, I was connected to my, that, that's, that was the place I acted out an awful lot. And I would like to think that, I would like to think that was not a big change, but it was, it felt like it was monumental. So when I handed it to him, and he entered in the code, and then hand it back to me and said, I hope you don't need it ever again because I can't remember what I handed in. And I thought, oh, no, I'm going to be without this. And it's going to be just going to be challenging. And I, I've come to realize that I just really don't miss it. Uh-huh. I really don't miss it. Uh-huh. Um, but that's a, you know, I'd like to consider that to be a fairly small change. And yet it felt like it was as big as life. Well, you know, I've, I've often heard that uh, over time, you know, just changing your direction a degree. Yes. You know, over distance, over time, it turns into a huge mammoth difference. Mammoth difference. Yeah. It's the same kind of a thing. One degree change from here, flying, uh, you know, flying across the country, 
uh, from where we're sitting right now, just flying to the other end of the country, would uh, would put us, you know, hundreds of miles off of our original destination. Kind of strange to think about. No small it? thing. No small thing. Yeah. So as I'm thinking about how can I begin to apply these things to recovery, how can I begin to apply these things to my life? Well, um, I think we've, in a lot of ways, already talked about it, but I remember... I remember uh, I had a monumental task in my recovery. I had to clean out my basement. And I had, I mean, floor-to-ceiling boxes and junk and all kinds of stuff. And it was just, it took me, I was three years into my recovery before I felt like I could tackle that. Before I could tackle that. And it started with 15 minutes. I thought, I'll just just go in there for 15 minutes. I'll I'll take a garbage bag. I'll set a timer. I'll go in there for 15 minutes and I will do that every day. You know, wow. and it didn't take long before the 15 minutes turned into a half hour to an hour to, you know, just right. Now I'm you know, using whatever time I have that I can right. I can create or, or spare until the project was done. But that was something that I had to reduce down to a level where I was willing to attempt it. You know, yeah. and I had to reduce that a lot. And it was a big project, but it did get done. It did get done. Yeah. One of the things I think of is, is that uh, when we talk about SAA, we know that it's a, you know, a day at a time kind of a program. All we have is today. The reality of it is, is it may be all I've got is this hour. Yeah. Or what about this minute? What's the incremental, what's the incremental piece of time that I can, I cannot act out in this minute. And then I can back that up with another minute. Sure. And before long, I can back that up with an hour, and then it becomes a day. Yeah. Do you know, I remember when I came out of the, out of the hospital after, after my suicide attempt, and, and I was in my mother's basement. My, my wife and I were temporarily separated, and I was provided with a loud mechanical alarm clock that I would wind up. So it ticked very loudly. Sure. And I remember... I remember in those early days lying in bed and listening to that tick and thinking, there's one more second. There's one more second. Wow. And there were times that, 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 that's all I had. Okay. I can wait for another tick. I can wait for another tick. I can wait for another tick, you know, and it's kind of funny now, but I remember some years later I was standing in a 12 step meeting and we had our moment of silence mm-hmm. and and so the room quieted down and was listening. And I was, I was positioned just so that I could hear the clock on the wall ticking. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's so soothing. There's one more second. There's one more second. And I was so grateful for that. You wow. Know? That's and, a great story. Yeah. I have been around clocks when they've been loud enough you can hear the tick. Uh-huh. And, it's, uh, and I keep thinking to myself, well, there goes another one. There goes another uh-huh. one. There goes another one. <laughs> yeah. another, another funny thing that happens at work is uh, there's a guy that comes in to collect the deposit every morning. Mm-hmm. And he'll ask me how I am. How are you doing? I said, never better. And he says, really? How can you manage that? How can you be never better every day? You know, and, and he thinks it's kind of funny. But do you know what? He comes in and he waits for me to say it. You know, in fact, he overheard me. Somebody asked me, I said, oh, I'm doing great. And he says, what happened to never better? So now I make it a point to tell him that I'm doing never better. And, and... One way that that is absolutely true is that I have one more day. I've never been better 
my recovery time, my, my clean time has never been better. Right. And that's something to be grateful for. And that's, that's, that is actually something that I use to focus on whatever challenges the day brings to me. That doesn't mean I have every day that I go through is the best day that I've ever had. Sure. But there's so much in my life where I can honestly say, no, things have never been better. And I will continue to focus on that and add to the others. And that's all done very incrementally. Fantastic. Fantastic. Any other thoughts for our reader or for our listeners? Oh yeah, I do. Um, I want to go back to the British cycling team and okay. kind of conclude their story. So they jumped they jumped in and they started to adopt this program. Right. Okay. And it took time to implement it, but they looked at everything. Everything from the fabric that their clothes were made out of to what they were eating, how what they, they were, were sleeping. eating, how they were yeah. every aspect of their life and cycling and all that kind of stuff. They broke it down into the simplest terms to- terms possible Mm -hmm. and then figured out if there was some way they could do it even just a little bit better anyway so in the 20 years in the 20 years since they implemented that they have let's see okay since they implementing the philosophy the british cyclists have won the storied tour de france an astonishing six six times during the past four Olympic Games, Great Britain has been the most successful country across all cycling disciplines. And as and in the recently concluded Tokyo Olympics game, won more gold medals in cycling than any other country. Phenomenal. <clears throat> so they went from an un, Absolute unmitigated disaster <laughs> to... Huh. to um, finding success. Not only finding success, but, you know, being the new dynasty if you will. Yeah, yeah yeah they're all over that that's remarkable that's remarkable so i promised that we would come back i promised we would come back uh to mired in mediocrity okay so we've talked a little bit about how the, the i just and, and really all i wanted to kind of talk in this podcast was just to kind of get the idea of one percent right and get get our listeners to start thinking about well what might that look like in my world because you know you just started reading the book and I was just kind of introduced it and I really liked it and I want to read this book so I'm sure we're going to revisit this we are it, you know a couple weeks or maybe a month or so down the road after we both had a chance to read this book and maybe implement it a little bit so yeah. let's let's kind of take this episode this podcast as a as a challenge to you and me and absolutely and just say all right Let's figure out what our 1% is. What, what can I do? What and just can I just kind of yeah. make that a thing. And actually, if any of you guys are out there and want to share what your 1% is, your success stories, uh, yeah, send it to us. Reach out to us. But, but that, that requires us. Let's look, let's look for just a minute. How might I be mired in mediocrity? I've got several ideas about that. Okay. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean bad. Right, right. You know, just... There's a term in SAA... Uh, there's a term that we refer to in SAA regarding uh, regarding participation in SAA is either being a participant or a tourist. Okay. And I think we've done an episode on mm-hmm, being mm-hmm. a tourist in SAA. And I think that to some extent, um, and, and you've seen this, there's been so many who've come through the, the ranks of, of some recovery meeting or another and have found a way to just simply come to the meeting not work the steps, not work any kind of the, the you know the work that's required or anything like that. Who are hoping that perhaps maybe those those powerful words that are spoken or you know the discussion that's going on as people share, etc., are going to somehow stick to them and make them better. Uh, and I think that's mired in mediocrity. When somebody's unwilling to actually 
and they'll go to the trouble of going to the meeting as though that in itself is going to provide just enough to help them over overcome their addiction and their problems um, when you and I both know that there's nothing magical about the words that are being said unless somebody internalizes it and runs with it. That, I think, is mired in mediocrity, and we see a lot of that. I think one way to get mired into mediocrity is to forget... I, I think we I think we forget that every aspect of our lives is affected, right? Mm-hmm. And that recovery is really just learning to live a good life. Right. You, you know what I mean? So I think I think we can get mired in mediocrity when we forget that and just start going through the motions again. Yes. You know, now it's it's hard it's hard to uh I don't know, to, to kind of keep all of that in front of you. So often I wish I could keep everything that I've learned in front of me all the time, sure. so to speak. You know, so that revisit that one because it's relevant right now. Re- yeah. Revisit uh-huh. that over there. The, and just have it all right there. Right there. Sure. Uh, but but where that uh, so where that's not possible, you know, you have to put forth a little bit of effort. Mm-hmm. And I think we also need to realize that a one percent increase, you know, a, a pro- progress is is um is something to be you know acknowledged and celebrated and then a stepping stone for the next one that's right do the next right thing do the next right thing because once it becomes the past that you know that was great i'm grateful for it but what do i do right now right now what can yeah. i do right now yeah uh, other thoughts about mired and mediocrity i think um um hit and miss in terms of our meeting attendance uh, unwilling to perhaps to participate. There's lots of opportunities to volunteer within one of these organizations and to help out. Um, there are sufficient responsibilities for people to be involved with and to be engaged with that keep them going, keep them coming back. Um, doing the steps. I think uh, you know the steps themselves, there's something to be said about about putting pen to paper and writing that first step and then, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then really tackling steps two and three and and moving on then to step four, and all of those steps really just sort of building the groundwork of, of uh, and if one's will, unwilling to do that, there's nothing magical in the words, it's it's in actually doing the work. And so mediocrity suggests that we're only gonna go halfway, we're not gonna get it all the way there. Right. <clears throat> so I think there's lots of, lots of recovering addicts that are hoping for the very best, but only willing to put in so much. Right. <laughs> and at what cost? Um, thinking of some that are unwilling to even get a counselor, to add a counselor to the mix, um, all those sorts of things, all those sorts of things. Um, not really willing to, not really willing to put forward the, the effort to make a first order change or, or to do anything that, that upsets their lifestyle in any way, shape or form. Unwilling to stop looking at the, you know, the internet or the, or, you know, put any kind of a, put any kind of a block on their computer at home. All of that's mired in mediocrity in my mind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, interesting stuff, interesting topic. Very good. Do you have any ideas for what your 1% is going to be? I have a handful. Good. Um, I have a handful of ideas. I, uh, I definitely, I definitely want to spend some more time with the book. I definitely want to spend some more time with the book. But I think there's a couple of changes that I think I can implement. Um, <clears throat> when I consider... When I consider sort of boundaries around what it is that I do and what I don't do, I have a pretty a pretty robust morning routine routine, and I think I've mentioned that a time or two. 
But I think what I really like to do, and, I, and I've justified my routine because I drive about 45 minutes to get to the office, 30 to 45 minutes to get to the office. And if I, if I leave at the wrong time in the morning, that 30 to 45 minutes can easily translate into an hour, an hour and a half. For sure. And so I justify leaving so much later uh, to avoid all of the traffic that's associated with it. And what I'd really like to do is instead is I would like to shift. So one of the things I, one of the small little minor changes I would like to make is I would like to make my routine happen a little bit earlier and then leave even that much earlier. And I know that if I leave before 7 o'clock in the morning, I can still make that 30 to 45-minute drive. It's when I start leaving 7, 7, 15, 7, 38 o'clock that all of a sudden I'm into a messy situation. I don't want yeah. that. But I would really like to get to work earlier. That's one of the things. So getting up earlier, going to work earlier. Um, I would like to, uh, I'm, <laughs> you're going to laugh at me. I'm working really hard right now on, uh, uh, on diet. Uh-huh. Um, I'm taking a pre-diabetics class right now with my wife, something that we could do together. And, and they're really hinting on, you know, what are you doing to, to manage food, quantity of food, uh, types of food, things like that. How are you managing that? And I, I, uh, so I'm, I'm, those, that's one of the things I'd like to work on. Those I'm not, not going to laugh at you. <laughs> sounds great. Maybe I should go. <laughs> those are the kinds of 1% that I think I would like to make. You know, what little thing, you know, so much of this stuff is literally done in the, in the moment, right? It's that finding a lunch place during the day to where am I going to go to lunch today? And if I made a, a better decision about where I went to lunch and what I ate, what kind of effect on would that have on me on this you know, on a, on a pre-diabetic situation? So, those are the kinds of things I think they're going to jump off a page to me. Okay, so. I think for myself, and I'll I'll share one or two thoughts, and then we'll wrap it up. I think for myself, I want to do something that is going to give me something new to think about. I haven't done anything as far as uh, like reading this book would be a great place for me to start because. Because, uh, you know, with the new job, I haven't, I haven't, uh, I used to take like free online classes or oh, yeah. read a book. There was always something that I was doing. and I've kind of gotten out of the habit of that. That's, that's one thing I need to get back into oh, wow. now that I'm, I'm back up to speed with, I, I have that time again. And so yeah. that's something I'm going to jump back into. Well, I think you'll enjoy this book. This is a, this is a great book. So I think it'll be good. Okay. Well, fun topic. Fun topic. Yeah, I and think this, it's this very is this is relevant. This is one we'll revisit. We'll come back to this every once in a while I and touch so. base. I think so. Maybe we'll be like the uh, the Brits and their Olympic, uh, well, and their Tour de France efforts. Maybe maybe we'll be, uh, we'll be wildly successful in some of those things. See, this is the first part of October twenty twenty two, right? Right. right. Is, and so let's see, let's see what we look like in October twenty twenty three. Let's see if we're thirty seven times <laughs> better. <laughs> I'll be curious to see how you come up with the math on that. <laughs> That's just what I said, right? 1% every exactly. day, you're 37 times better. It's a full third. That's remarkable. Yeah. You know, can yeah. imagine being a full third better today or better a year from now than, than you were today. That's remarkable. Well, do you know what? You know, we kind of laugh about that, but if I look back at the first year of my recovery, by the end of my first year, I was saying that my life was better than I could possibly have conceived it. Sure. You know, and that started out with those small changes. So wherever you are, wherever you are in your recovery and whatever it is you're doing, that is a great place to start and it is a terrible place to stay. That's right. <laughs> so do the next right thing. Very do that good. 1%. What, figure out what you need to do and then reduce it 
to a spot where you are willing to do it and then do that and then do that every day. Excellent. Excellent advice. With that, this is Mike saying, do the work necessary to find the peace that recovery can bring. And this is Gary saying, do the next right thing. Excellent. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or concerns, or have any suggestions for future episodes, please contact us at 12thsteppodcast at gmail.com. That is 1-2-T-H-STEPPODCAST at gmail.com. As a fellowship of recovering addicts, Sex Addicts Anonymous offers a message of hope to anyone who suffers from sex addiction. Check out saa-recovery.org.